0: It's time for episode number 94 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, July the 8th, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the weekly podcast that skips weeks sometimes. Uh, I'm your co-host Jason Snell and across the internet from me my co-host as he is every week except the weeks that we don't do the show Dan Morin. Hi Dan. Hi Jason. You know it was
1: I'm sad that no one will overhear our clockwise from last week (laughs) recorded as we sat on a beach. Yeah it will Mm
0: -hmm. it will go into the archives.
2: It was all about shell technology anyways so.
0: Look a a voice that, that you just heard it's one of our two excellent guest dan would you like to introduce that voice i know she ruined
2: everything
1: (laughs) she is our our favorite person to ruin
0: everything i'm warzone georgia dow hi georgia
2: hi dan
0: and and uh, (laughs) a a first-time clockwise participant he is the uh, proprietor of iphonejd.com which provides technology information to lawyers it's kind of cool
3: jeff richardson hi jeff Hi, Jason. Thanks for inviting me to sit around the virtual table with y'all. All
0: All right. So uh, you are welcome. And let's get started. Topic number one uh, is mine. Uh, A lot of talk in the last week or so, uh, while I was on vacation, in fact, about uh, a couple of blog posts from a web and Android developer who called Safari, Apple's web browser, the new Internet Explorer Sick burn. So I wanted to ask all of you, um, you know, what do you think Apple's responsibility is as a as a platform owner, you know, the builder of operating systems, versus as a member of the web development community? Is it Apple's responsibility to be uh, snappy and keep up with all the web standards, or uh, you know, and how much of it is its responsibility as a platform owner to be more skeptical about it? I'm just kind of curious if Safari, if you think the Safari is the new IE, or a little broader than that. Jeff, what do you think?
3: I read Nolan Lawson's two articles, and I see that he's frustrated that Apple is slow to adopt some cutting-edge browser technologies. You know, I'm an attorney and an end user of technology, not a web developer, so when he complains about Apple's approach to things like index DB, that just goes right over my head. But I can say that as someone who has been using Safari since it was introduced in 2003, Apple has had a heck of a lot of success with its strategy of slow and steady improvements. Um, you know, Apple's the tortoise, not the hare. And I like that. I want Apple to take the time to to look at proposed browser improvements in the context of the big picture, you know, weighing the, the whiz-bang features of the flavor of the month against things like security and user experience Um, and the best example for this of me is five years ago all that criticism Apple was getting for refusing to incorporate Adobe Flash into Safari on iOS so much so that Steve Jobs wrote that public letter um, you know Apple's thoughts on Flash in 2010 but in retrospect Apple was clearly correct and thank goodness we can now visit restaurant websites without having to load buggy Flash plugins so you know for me I know that smart people at Apple are looking at all these proposed enhancements to web technology and you know we typically are not going to know why Apple does what it does uh, and they may not be perfect but Apple's prior success with Safari has earned my trust that they're doing the right thing.
1: Yeah, I I come at this from a perspective of someone who used to be a web developer and remembering in that about a decade ago and dealing with IE at that time, remembering how much of a pain that was. And so I I have sympathy to web developers who don't want to end up having to tweak, uh, you know, the, the work that they do for a variety of sort of idiosyncratic platforms. Um, And so from that standpoint, I can see why there is a lot of demand for Apple to sort of uh, comply with the standards that are out there. That said, you know, there's a lot of stuff that rolls out and may be adopted by a lot of other browsers that Apple has not yet adapted. And surprise, you're dealing with Apple here, which likes to do its own thing in its own way in its own time. So in that sense, I'm not shocked that it, it hasn't uh, ad- adopted all these these things which uh, may be considered very, very commonplace standards, um, because I, as I think, you know, Jeff and has pointed out, you know, they, they you know, they like to roll things out in, in their way and they like to decide what's best for them. And, and unsurprisingly, Apple as a company is, is trying is in the business of figuring out what's best for them. So I, I do think it would be great if Apple engaged more. I think that's a, a criticism they've gotten in a lot of places over the years years in terms of uh, as a company, just not engaging as much with uh, other like standards organizations or even uh, end users. Um, And I think they've opened up a lot in that direction. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see them start trying to engage a little bit more to the web community. Um, especially as they're looking to improve Safari, not just from like the user features, but for all those things underneath the, the, you know, sort of uh, beneath the hood that can really improve stuff. Um, so I, I hope that they adopt a few more of these standards and are more willing to engage with that web community. I don't think they, it's something they desperately need to do until the point where it actually has an effect and people stop, stop building in things that make it work well on Safari. So, um, yeah, hopes and wishes.
2: Huh. And I thought that I was going to be an outlier here. Um, I I feel really similarly. Um, I think that Apple uh, puts the end user first, and and it, unless, and most people, you know, just know that Safari works and they're not thinking about all the different APIs and the newest, greatest things that are coming out. Apple's going to be working first on doing things at a slow pace, which Apple always does, dealing with privacy and security and things that are going to run really well and are not going to be buggy on um, Safari. So I think that it's a good wait for Apple, and I think that in the end, Most people don't know even that Safari is created by Apple. They don't care. They just want something that's going to run, and it's not going to cause them a whole bunch of problems. So I think that it doesn't really behoove Apple to be the first out of the gate to implement things. They can have the time to wait because no one that is outside of the developer community, which I can understand the frustration... But for Apple, the end users are not complaining about it. They like it just because it works. And so they can get away with waiting to make sure that everything is going to implement cleanly and quickly as they want it to.
0: Yeah, I think you guys. I think you guys nailed it. The only thing I would add is that uh, although Apple does participate, I don't, I don't think it's fair to frame it, and I've heard from a lot of people about this, as Apple not communicating with people in the web standards community. I think there is still a perception in the web development community that Apple is not really a participant. Um, there's a lot of history of them sort of doing things in the background and not talking to anybody, and everybody wonders what Apple thinks about something. And I think Apple doesn't need to say yes uh, if they want to say no, they just need to say it and be clear about it. About it and participate. I think some of what we're seeing here is the effect of Google being an active participant and pushing its own agenda, and Apple just sort of ignoring the things that it doesn't agree with. And there's probably a more engaged uh, approach to that that will. Uh, I just think in the end, Apple needs to not be criticized by people who feel that Apple sort of doesn't participate in the process. Um, and if Apple needs to be criticized for making its own decisions about what it thinks it's important on the web and what it thinks are not, uh, appropriate things to do on, um, you know, for example, mobile computing platforms, then, uh, that's fair criticism. And I, I would much rather see Apple out there being criticized for what it feels, uh, is right and wrong mm-hmm. than sort of be accused of being asleep at the switch. I think that's the, that's the part that troubled me. And, and, uh, it's, there are signs that Apple is already being much more active than it has been in the past. And I think that's a good thing. All right. Thank you for sharing your perspectives. Let's move on to topic number two. Jeff, what do you have for us?
3: Apple has released lots of interesting products over the years, and some like the iPod Mini, which we all remember was a huge success, and others like the G4 Cube, the G4 Cube were misses. Um, although I must say, I was in the audience uh, at Macworld in New York in 2000 when Steve Jobs introduced the G4 Cube, and it looked pretty, pretty cool at the time. But my question for each of you is, what are your personal one or two all-time favorite Apple hardware products, and why?
1: Uh, so that's, yeah, that's just a small field of Apple products there. Not too many to pick from. Uh, I think my the two that strike uh, my mind, which are both from around the same period, are um, my Power Mac G3, which is a blue and white. Which I believe was codenamed Yosemite. <laughs> Let's reuse that. Yeah. Um, and I really, I really enjoyed that computer uh, because of the time I was, you know, I was working in IT and doing a lot of, you know, getting my hands in the guts of lots of computers. And I loved the door that just sort of folded down and presented all those components. It was really easy to swap stuff in and out of. It was a really fast computer for the time. Um, it had the first DVD drive I ever had on a computer. I used to use it for watching movies. It was just a great machine. I, I really loved that machine. It was, it was just beautifully well-made and the sort of pinnacle of Apple design at the time. Uh, and then to that, a couple of years after that, the, uh, the original iPod I would pick. Um, I, that is just, it was a mind blowing device at the time. I remember using my friend's old, uh, he had one of those diamond Rio MP3 players and I could think, I think you could fit about eight songs on it. And so I would borrow it from him sometimes and walk back from the parking lot that was like a mile away where I had to park my car in campus uh, and I would get through, you know, just about, you know, a, a two or three songs and whatever, but I, I would have to load it up every time. Um, and the iPod was just such a revelation in terms of being able to store all my music that it just made perfect perfect sense. It was beautifully designed. Um, it was a great little piece of hardware. I kept it basically as long as I could until essentially it it died on me um, and I traded it in. But uh, that original iPod was a beautiful piece of work and I think it deserves to be enshrined as one of the best Apple products ever.
2: Oh, I think that for me, um, my two favorite Apple products are, one is my, my first Air. I got it when I graduated and it was just so nice to be able to bring a light laptop around with me everywhere, and everyone else is is carrying around these huge, hunking laptops, and they're big and they're clunky. And I was able to bring out this beautiful, light, pristine air that my poor little body could carry around without having to have my shoulders be weighted down. And it was so revolutionary in feeling that you know this is something that's really, really portable, and I can bring everywhere with me. And I just loved that feeling of opening it up and everyone going oh look is that the air and I'm like yes it is and everyone checking it out to see what it uh, what how it functions and how heavy is it really and the second product is um, my Apple watch now you know there's a whole bunch of people that like there's different problems and there's still bugs and it's a first-gen product but this is me jumping into the area of like secret spies and mission impossible and you know <laughs> I have I have my 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 watch is my phone. And I love being able to answer phone calls, though it's a little bit scratchy on my Apple Watch or answer texts no matter where I am, and not have to pull out my huge clunking find in my purse, my huge clunking iPhone, my Apple, um, Apple six plus. And it's just that wonderful feeling of time saved, and then I'm gaming the system. And it just seems like so new age tech. And so that gives me that kind of feeling of childhood excitement.
0: Very nice. I will say, I'm going to go back uh, way back in time and say <laughs> the first generation PowerBook line. My first PowerBook was the second generation, it was the PowerBook 160, but it had the exact same design as that as that first generation. The I cannot, you know, begin to describe the revelation of being ha- having a Mac that you could put in a bag and walk around with and not the giant bag that you could put the, the Mac SE and Mac Plus in. and It was portable uh, if you had very strong shoulders. Uh, that first generation PowerBook, uh, that, uh, you know, gray plastic with the little ridges on the top and the port, you know, the little... A flimsy door that you could yeah, fold down in the back and, and attach uh, an external mon- drive a color monitor uh, from a little laptop or unplug it all and, and uh, write an article while you're on the train. Um, I did that. That was uh, when I was in grad school and I absolutely loved it. So first generation power book for sure. And I'm going to throw in the 12 inch PowerBook. Uh, as well. That was the first, uh, sort of like the, the, for years after, I guess is how I would put it. I dreamed of having a, a laptop that small again. And, uh, I would say that the, 11 uh, inch air has come the closest to that, uh, that sort of ideal of a very small power book that, uh, the, of the ones that I've used. Um, although I suppose the new MacBook really is the, um, it, I, which I have a little less affection for because I don't like the keyboard so much. Um, but it, it, it fits the 12-inch powerbook designed to a T in that the keyboard goes all the way to the edge. And I love that 12-inch powerbook that for years afterward, when it became obsolete, I would uh, I would remember it fondly and wish that I could still be using it. But it was no longer any good.
3: Yeah, those are all great choices. Um, my first um, is the uh, Performa 450, which was released in 1993. Uh, it was the same computer as the LC3. That was the educational version of it. Uh, that wasn't my first Mac. My first Mac was a Mac Plus. I bought when I was in college in 1988. But that Performa 450 was the first Mac I had with um, an external, bigger screen. You know, bigger compared to the original Mac design. It had color, and you know, this was the computer that I really felt like, wow. You know, this is you know, I can do. Everything Everything with things, this thing. I'll be using Macs for the rest of my life, uh, and sure enough, I I am. So, um, uh, although I loved my original Mac, after coming from a Commodore 64 which had color and stuff, it seemed like a step backwards to have that small grayscale screen. Um, But overall, there's no question. My overall favorite Apple product of all time was the iPhone 3G, released in 2008. This was the second generation iPhone. You know, when the first one came out, it used the Edge network, which was pitifully slow, even by 2007 standards, and it did not work with uh, corporate email, people like me that have, you know, worked with an office that uses Microsoft Exchange, but all of that was solved with the iPhone 3G. It used fast 3G, you could work with corporate email, Um, it had iOS 2, which meant the app store, so suddenly all, you know, the apps you could start to get for the iPhone, and, you know, the original iPhone got everyone's attention, but it was the iPhone 3G that I think really set the stage for the iPhone soaring popularity. And uh, it's my all-time favorite. Great choice.
0: Uh, all right. That was a trip down memory lane. I hope Stephen Hackett is listening because that was right up his alley. Old stuff, old tech. Uh, we, we have reached halftime. Two topics down, two more to go. Our halftime sponsor this week is Fracture, a really great company with a fantastic product. I have five Fracture prints, five, six Fracture prints near me right now. Fracture is a service. You upload photos to FractureMe.com and they don't just send you back a photographic print on paper. It is a print of your photo printed directly onto a piece of glass, it's a really uh, an amazing effect. It's a unique effect. Um, they uh, it comes mounted with a sort of hardware on the back of it to use it to hang it on your wall. I will lift one off my wall right now. So it comes with that. You can you can you can hang it up on your wall. There's no frame required. It's its own frame. The glass on the front of it protects it, and then printed on the back of that same clear piece of glass. Is your photo? I've got some icons of podcasts that I do. I'm looking at the clockwise one right now, as well as some great photos. Tiffany Arment took a picture of uh, uh, an episode of Accidental Tech podcast recorded in the MacWorld podcast room last year that I'm in, and she sent me one. Uh, I've got a a watercolor painting uh, that's on there; would be great for kids. If you've got a great piece of your kids' art, you could take a picture of it, have it printed onto a fracture, and uh, save it that way instead of you know because that construction paper will fall apart. Um, super easy to order. Uh, I Like I said, I've got six of them here. They've all come completely intact. They've, they've got uh, packaging down to a science. So the glass is going to be perfectly secure. It comes with everything you need to mount them on your walls. It's all put together. It's super easy to get them up there once you receive your fractures. Um, they look great. They make great gifts. I've received them as gifts. I've ordered them for myself. I really recommend Fracture. I can do that personally. So, help support Clockwise. Get 10% off your first order at Fracture by using coupon code CLOCKWISE. Go to fractureme.com to get started. And thank you so much to Fracture for supporting Relay FM and being the halftime sponsor of Clockwise. All right, halftime's over. Dan, it's time for the second half kickoff. What's your topic? All right, let's do this. So I already mentioned that one of
1: my favorite products was the original iPod, and some leaks last week from the new version of iTunes suggested that new iPods might be on the way, even as we've seen the iPods influence kind of dwindling in the face of the iPhone. So my question for you guys is, what, what feature or what capability would get you excited about the iPod again? Georgia?
2: You know, I've been thinking about this for a while. I guess you could say the usual answer, which would be more storage, smaller and lighter. But I don't really think that that's going to make a huge break in the market. I think that they would have to go like a full new step into something else. So how would I actually want to use an iPod? Why would I purchase one when I already have my phone and I have a Bluetooth connector so I can listen to music as I want on my watch? I would love to have one, it be waterproof. And two, I would love to have it as like a little tiny earpiece. So they used to have the iPod that looked like a little tie clip, something like that. It would be in an earpiece. I would get to wear it on my ear as I needed. And then I thought the coolest thing would be if they could add a little walkie-talkie feature so that when I'm playing paintball, I can listen to music and I can tell everyone else when... The people are coming towards our way. And I think that as a family, if we went to Disney World or we did something else, that would be a awesome, cool feature that I would definitely be down with purchasing an iPod.
0: Dan, I didn't know that this was the Pundit Showdown and we were doing Defend the Indefensible. I have nothing oh. to say. That the, the, the the true answer is I'm, I don't think there's anything that could get me excited about the iPod again. I was thinking about it and I thought, well, you know, what would be really great is if like my car has got an iPod attachment and in the, in the glove box. It's like, that would be really great if I could I could plug it in and, and have the music stream wirelessly. So maybe if they put a cell phone connect, oh no, wait a second, then it's just an iPhone, <laughs> isn't it? So I don't yes. know. I, I think I'm not ever going to be a person who's going to be excited about the iPod. I think it would be great for people who have um, have have kids who want something that's smaller or the, the, you know, sort of John Syracuse's of the world who don't want to pay for a, a smartphone plan to have, uh, I, I want Apple to keep it up and keep it relatively modern because it's good to have in the product line, but uh, it, it's, its use cases continue to narrow. And uh, I, I don't think there's anything that can get me excited about the iPod again until, as Georgia said, until maybe it's something that um, you stick in your ear. But at that point, why, why not play music from your Apple Watch to a little Bluetooth headphone instead? So I just think
3: time has passed the iPod by. Sorry. You know, we talk about the iPod. The iPod, you know, means two things now, right? You have the iPod Touch, which is never going to be exciting again because that's just the iPhone without the phone, the one that you give your kids so that you don't have to pay a monthly cellular uh, fee for it. Um, but the other thing that the word iPod refers to is that small portable music player that doesn't have a big enough screen to run apps and, and stuff like that. And I think that Apple has already figured out how to make that uh, device exciting again, and it's called the Apple Watch. You know, my favorite iPod of all time was the sixth generation nano which is the one that Apple sold from 2010 to 2012 it was that small square and the whole thing was a clip so you could like clip it to your clothes while you're working out and um, the Apple watch does the same thing I put it on my arm instead of clipping it to my clothes but it, it carries my music and you know it's got all the information I need on the screen and you know I used to connect my old iPod to one of those Nike plus iPod sensors that you stuck in your shoe so it could monitor your uh, steps but you know now the Apple watch does all that so I mean I could see maybe Apple making the iPod more of like a lower end Apple Watch, maybe put put one of those M8 motion coprocessors in it so it could watch your steps, you know, for people that can't afford an Apple Watch, but want to get some of the, the exercise benefits and maybe the iPod would do that. I still don't know if it would be exciting, though. But
1: yeah, I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there that the uh, the Apple Watch does strike me as kind of an analog for the modern day shuffle, you know, obviously pricier and more capable. but. It does have the, the same sort of thing with like your two gig music library and stuff like that. So I, you know, I'm, I'm Jason makes a convincing argument. It is hard to imagine the iPod being exciting more, although I really do enjoy George's suggestion of a walkie talkie built in there. Um, I will be interested to see how especially the non iPod touch models, uh, which is to say the Shuffle and Nano deal with Apple Music if they do at all. The Shuffle strikes me as probably not really you know much more than than loading stuff on there which you may be able to download into your library i'm not sure how the drm stuff works on that Um, But, the you know, adding some sort of streaming feature or access the stream feature to the Nano via via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or something seems like maybe that would that would get some people interested in it again. But I I do agree that it's a hard it's an uphill climb when you have the iPhone and the iPod touch even and trying to get people into, you know, the uh, music only playing devices, I think, is a is a pretty, pretty tough sell. So I, I hope that they come up with something interesting or at the very least, as Jason says, keep it modern, but I am, I'm not super hopeful.
2: So my question is: What do you think is going to be the next big advancement, the next big leap in technology? What's going to get us to want to use our smartphones even more than we already do? Wow, um, <laughs> I, I, I
0: found, I found that's a, a really hard question. I mean, there are a lot of rumors about about um, about uh, haptic stuff in the new iPhone. Um, I feel like text input is still a big problem on, on smartphones and I'm not quite sure whether it's just a matter of doing better speech to text conversion uh, combined with uh, improvements in the feel as we're typing on the glass and that, that uh, haptic stuff might be able to improve. I don't know. Um, and I, cause I feel like it's like, that is one of our big problems is the text inputs just still not that great on smartphones. Um, I, A year ago, if you would ask me this, I would have probably said Smarter Extension's to, um, you know, little, little satellite devices to the smartphone, like, you know, a watch or something, but we're starting to have those now. And I think those are actually um, huge advancements for the smartphone in that it makes the smartphone the hub of a, of a a larger experience instead of having to be everything and do everything. So I'm afraid I don't, I'm now I'm really glad we're not keeping score because I don't really have a good answer for this. I, I I feel like smartphones are going to move slower now and that maybe the biggest advancements are going to be intelligent objects around. Around them that talk back to them and that let us, you know, give input in different ways. And it just goes back to the smartphone later. Jeff, what do you think?
3: I think you're right, Jason. We're probably going to see things like force touch technology coming in the short term. But when I look at what's going to make me um, you know, excited about a real advancement in the iPhone, I think of augmented reality. I love my iPhone giving me rich information about the world around me. And the iPhone already does that in some great ways. I mean, it can give me a map from where I'm standing right now to any other location that I need to get to. And when you pair an iPhone with an Apple Watch, it can even uh, tap on my arm so that nobody even realizes I'm getting directions to turn left and turn right. And I'm looking forward to more advanced versions of this type of technology. And perhaps it will involve the Apple Watch or perhaps some other iPhone accessory, such as maybe something that attaches to my glasses or fits in my ear. Some iPhone can talk to me without people knowing about it. You know, I would love to be at a conference and someone walks up to me and gosh, I can't remember who that is. And my iPhone just says, oh, Jeff, that's the guy that you talked to two years ago. And remember, you know, his daughter's the same same age as yours, and they both play soccer, you know, so that my iPhone can act as a second brain. And I think that we're starting to get there slowly, and um, uh, that that's, that would make it really exciting for me if we have those sorts of advances.
1: Um, I would actually like to see... Now, so I think there's a, there's a trick here, because I think the most interesting stuff that's going to get done is probably in software still. Um, and I really, one of the things that I, I really like on the iPhone, but I think needs a lot of work, is Siri. Um, and, and iOS 9 promises to bring some advancements in terms of being proactive, you know, like as they say, about providing you with the context you need when you need it. And I think that's something that helps get to what you guys are talking about, because it's, it's something, intelligence that can help predict what you need and anticipate what you need and requires you to take out your phone less um, so that you can deal with the world around you. I mean, and in that sense, what Jeff's suggesting with like a little like attachment um, for your glasses or an earpiece or something like that, I think is, is nice in some ways because it could potentially provide information on demand uh, when you need it. Rather than uh, you know having to pull out your phone and check, um, but at the same time I worry about the idea that you always have something on that screen or in that earpiece, and you just will be totally disengaged. So uh, I'm not sure if that's a, that's an advantage or not. Um, as for the hardware itself, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that the the smartphone may eventually you know, in the sort of farther off future condense into your watch in some ways uh you know if we all just walk around with a bluetooth earpiece and a, and a watch on our wrist maybe we won't need a phone for as many things i don't know um but i i'm not sure that there's anything that is i'm really dying for as the uh, from the smartphone f- uh hardware sense i think the force touch might make a interesting uh addition unless they're going to come out with a, a phone that i can put down and then it like pops up like crazy holographic screens i lost star wars i would be on i would be into that i want some of that
2: <laughs> I like the I like the idea of the holographic screens I think that the the next, biggest thing that will get us more attached to our phones would be uh, an intelligent AI. We are already pre-programmed to see sentiment and emotion and care in inanimate objects. I remember an Ikea commercial, which is all talking about a lamp that was thrown out. And at the end, they're like, well, it's silly. Why are you crying? It's just a lamp. But I was one of those people that were crying. Um, I'm a psychotherapist. So, you know, that, that just goes with my personality trait. But an intelligent AI, you have your own little Jarvis in your pocket as Jeff and Dan were saying, that can kind of help you out, but also make you feel cared for. And I think that that would be that big linchpin of feeling like there's an actual faking, that there's an actual relationship in between the two of you. And that works exceptionally well. You can think about how people feel about Tamagotchis and Pokemon and stuffed animals and all kinds of other inanimate objects. And already just as a programming device, we are highly attached to our phones because that's the link to the outside world. But we're not um, attached to our phones as an entity. So I think that it would be dangerous and scary. But I also think that that would be a huge link to make people actually really care for the phone as its own little persona and the good and the bad that would come with that. But I think that that's the way that we're going. And I think that that would be something that will change the way that people use their phone.
0: All right. Great. We are done. We just have time for our bonus topic really quick because we're almost out of time. This one again comes from our friend listener Shireen. It's a different spin on basically the same thing that we asked before, but with a little less summary. Tweet us at clockwise pod with your suggestions for the bonus question. Really quick lightning round. What is the most unique food you've ever eaten?
3: Jeff? I live in New Orleans, so I will pick alligator. Tastes like chicken.
1: Dan, uh, I'm going to say the one time that I made chocolate Sprite using chocolate
0: syrup and Sprite. <laughs> okay, Ooh. and then you ate it. Georgia, what about you?
2: For for me, it was tongue, and the worst part is I didn't know that I was eating tongue when I was eating it, and uh, yeah, it, it tastes like what you think tongue would taste like.
0: All right, and I, wa- I want to say a peanut butter and bacon sandwich, but I'm going to go with the mousse that I had when I was in Sweden. That was pretty, yes. Nice. <laughs> All right, we are completely out of time. I want to thank Jeff Richardson from iPhoneJD.com. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Dan. And George Dow from iMore. Thank you for being here.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And uh, Dan, okay, we're going to be back next week, right? Right? Oh, yeah, totally. I'm here. All right. Totally. I'll be here, something more important comes up. Okay. And so until then, we want to remind everybody out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.